Good to see all of you here this morning, especially those of you who are visiting with us. We want you to know that you really are a welcome guest, and we're thankful that you have chosen to come here and spend these moments of worshiping together with us this morning. We do have a special guest. Jeremiah Boswell is with us this morning. He is uh, a guy that's doing some intern work here in our valley and some architecture things, and, and he's been staying with Lori and I, and so we're really happy to have him with us. And so I want to kind of just point him out, kind of a really good-looking guy wearing a royal blue jacket. My wife told me it was purple this morning, but she's colorblind. But anyway, we're glad that you're here with us, Jeremiah. Anyway, we're glad that any of you visitors, we're just happy that you are here. Those of you who are online, thank you for being here as, as well. Let me share with you a couple of weird, really quick announcements to get us going here this morning. Number one, let me remind the young adults and young families about our seminar where Joe Wells is going to be speaking there. That's not this weekend, but the next weekend. It's going to be a good time together with one another. You're going to learn a lot from Joe, so let me encourage you to participate in that. And then let me remind the ladies about our ladies' retreat, September the 17th through the 18th. You have one more week to get registered for that. And so if you would do that, that would really help the ladies who are on that committee set up and make arrangements for food and all those kinds of things. Lenora Williams, Carrie Williams, who used to be the former preacher here some 20 years ago, his wife is going to be here speaking, and she will do a really good job. And so let me encourage you to take part in that. So thus far in our series on the king and his kingdom, we have talked about Jesus being the king and that he established his kingdom and that that kingdom is manifested in the church, that is, it's made known in the church. So what we learned from last, at least last week's lesson is that the church is, the kingdom is not something to be held out way out there in the future somewhere, but is now a very present reality with us and exists today. So if you're in the church, you're in the kingdom, and if you're in the kingdom, then you are in the church. The question that might be coming to some of your minds, maybe a little bit, is this, well, what exactly is the kingdom? Well, I like the way William Barclay described the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is a society upon earth in which God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. So Christians are lining their lives up with the will of God in heaven, and that's what kingdom living really is about. What I want to do this morning is I want to add a series within a series. So our series is The King and His Kingdom, but I want to share with you some of the secrets of the kingdom. And when you talk about the secrets of the kingdom, one of the best ways to discover that is to look at the kingdom parables. Because the kingdom parables really do describe, they really do reveal a lot about what this kingdom that we're talking about is really all about. For those of you who don't know what maybe a parable is, well, a parable is just a simple story that uh, is taken just from everyday life that teaches or illustrates some kind of moral principle or maybe a, a spiritual lesson. That's really what a parable is. Some say it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and so that is a parable. So when you talk about the kingdom parables and the secrets of the kingdom, there are a number of things to start off with. Number one is this. The kingdom parables are mostly found in Matthew, the 13th chapter. It contains the majority of the kingdom parables. You'll find some of them recorded in Mark's gospel as well as in Luke's gospel, but not the entirety, certainly not with the degree that you find in Matthew, the 13th chapter. In the Gospel of John, you won't find any parables at all, and there's a reason for that. John's purpose was to write a gospel that appealed to those who were searching after Jesus and trying to discover who he is, and so he records seven of the signs that Jesus 
performed or miracles that he performed that were performed in order to create a belief or a faith in him as being more than just a man, but being the son of God, to being God him, himself. And so you, you find the, the kingdom parables mostly in Matthew, the 13th chapter. The other thing is this, that the kingdom parables are Jesus' extensive teaching regarding the revealing of the secrets of the kingdom. And so when you talk about the secrets of the kingdom, they involve a number of things. Number one, they reveal, say, the value of the kingdom, the worth of the kingdom. Other parables, they will reveal the, how the kingdom is spread and how it is received by those who are hearing about it. They reveal the growth of the kingdom as well as the outward manifestation and the internal workings of what the, the kingdom is about. And what other parables, they reveal the blessings of those who receive the kingdom. And then lastly, they reveal the final separation of believers from non-believers. So you have these kingdom parables that <clears throat> Jesus uses to reveal the secrets, the blessings of being a part of this kingdom and how this kingdom works in a very real sense of the word. And so what I want to do as we talk about the secrets of the kingdom is I want to begin with two parables that are mentioned in Matthew the 13th chapter. And they are the values of the kingdom or what the kingdom is worth. You find it in Matthew, the 13th chapter, in verses 44 through 46. And in that, he refers to this, the kingdom as being like a hidden treasure or like a pearl of great value or a parable, uh, a pearl of, of, great, of, of a great uh, a price. So how many of you would say you are, are treasure hunters before we get into it? Well, some of you are probably saying, nah, I don't get out and I don't do any treasure hunting. Well, how many of you like to go to garage sales? There are a number of you probably like to go, go, go garage selling or maybe you like going thrift storing, but you like to go to those places. And the, and the reason why you go there is that you're looking for some little treasure. Or it may be that maybe you'll find a really great treasure that someone has something that they have put out there for the garage sale for 25 cents or a buck and a half, and you find out that the thing is worth all kinds of money. And so you find this in, incredible service, which leans something to that old saying that says, well, what is one man's garbage is another man's treasure. Well, that's what kind of garage selling is about. Or maybe you're like Joe Bongiorno. Joe Bongiorno went out and he bought himself a metal detector. He said he's going to take it up as a hobby. So he's planning on taking this metal detector, maybe going out into a field to see if he can find some kind of trinket, or maybe down to Ann Morrison or Julia Davis Park or maybe Fuller Park or one of the parks around here and, and kind of run that metal detector to and fro trying to look for maybe something that has fallen beneath the surface of the grass or maybe someone has dropped some coin or something like that. And, the, and hence he will find a, a treasure. When you think about treasures, Howard, probably the greatest treasure hunter of all time is, is this, these two right here, Adam Staples and Lisa Grace. Back in 2019 of January, uh, they were out with their metal detectors, and they're going through this field around Somerset in the west part of England, and they're going through this thing with their metal detectors when all of a sudden their metal detectors, they go crazy. They start to beep and make all kinds of sound, and they stop and they begin to dig below the surface, and lo and behold, they found a hoard of ancient coins that were worth $6 million. $6 million. They found a bunch of those things. They found 2,271 of these Anglo-Saxon and Norman coins that were there. $6 million worth. Well, they had to let the authorities know about it. It's one of the laws in the UK. And so they had to let the authorities know about it. They took those coins and they sent it to the British Museum and they began to do some 
assessing of the coins, some study of the coins, and they discovered that these coins were 11th century coins. And not just that, they could date them all the way back to Harold II, who was the king at that time, who only lasted like nine months, and then he got into this battle at Hastings in 1066 and was killed in battle. There was another king on the, at the same time that was there, so they're able to go back to 1066 to when these coins came into being, and, and all of a sudden, it, it just is just a great story. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of political intrigue that was going on in the country at that time. So it's thought that some wealthy earl took these, these coins and buried them out in his field. And later he returned and get the coins, but guess what? He never returned. Or maybe, you know, he kept the land, but he died, and no one know that, knew that he buried it there. Or maybe he was killed along the line. All we know is that this wealthy guy had a bunch of coin, a bunch of money, and buried it. And Adam and Lisa, they found it, and they became super wealthy. Well, whenever I think about that kind of treasure, I think about the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus has been sharing a number of parables, and he had just got through talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares as he's out on the board off the shore. But now he's come into shore, and he goes into a house, and as he is sitting in the house, his disciples say to him, what is, what's the meaning of the wheat and the tares? And so he begins to describe to them and, what the, and reveal to them what the wheat and the tares is really about. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he shares with them three more parables. Two of the parables have to do with treasure or with a pearl. So in Matthew, the 13th chapter, and verse 44, Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has, and he buys the field. Now in the story, or in the parable, Jesus really doesn't tell us what this man was doing. He leaves that to our imagination to think, what is this guy doing in the field? Is he farming in the field? Is he just a businessman? So since you know, we're allowed to use our imagination, then we can imagine whatever the guy is doing. So let's say this guy is on a business trip, and he decides to take a shortcut through this guy's field. And that day, it was a courtesy to allow people to go through your field. So he cuts through his field. He's carrying a walking stick, and he's going along. And as he's going along, all of a sudden, thunk. He hits something. He trips over and falls on his face. He turns around to look to see what he tripped over, like we always do when we trip over something. And as he looks back, he sees a jar or an earthen vessel sticking up with a corner out of the ground. So he goes over to the ground and he begins to dig around the vessel. You know, handful of dirt after handful of dirt, rock after dock, he, uh, rock. He removes them out of the way till he can look down inside of the vessel. And what he sees is a lot of coinage, a bunch of gold, Roman gold, say, that was left 70 years earlier that someone, a rich man who used to own that piece of property, had buried it there. But now the previous owner knows nothing about it. And so he sees the, the, the treasure. He's amazed at what he sees. He knows this is of extreme value, so he takes it and he reburies it deep in the ground and he marks it so he can find it later and he skips off to town. And he goes to the town and he takes everything he owns, everything he owns, and he sells it. And he buys this field 
where the treasure is, is laid. So the parable, it really is about a man who isn't really, he's not looking for a treasure. He's not in search of a treasure. He unexpectedly stumbles across the treasure, but he immediately sees that it is something that is value, valuable. So this kingdom parable is about people who unexpectedly discover the spiritual truth of some eternal blessing that they were, that they were not looking for, but now they have found it. But once they have found it, once they have discovered it, they, just, they, they understand immediately that it is of great value. And they're willing to do almost anything in order to obtain that hidden spiritual treasure that is there. So when I thought about the hidden treasure, of course, obviously, I would look at my own life. And then I would start to look at your lives and think, is there anyone in here who finds himself in that same place? And I thought about my life. For most of you, you know that I wasn't raised in the church, didn't go to church at all until I was like 18 years old, my senior year, near the end of it, by the way. And there was a class that came up in my school called Bible as Literature. This is a California school, by the way. Bible as Literature. I took the class. Understand, I didn't take it because I was a spiritual person. I was like a punk. I didn't take the class because it was a Bible class. I took it because it was a slough class. I was an A student. It was an easy A for me to keep the GPA up so I could continue to play whatever sport I was in. So I took the class as a slough class. I understand, I, I didn't care about, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't searching for God. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know Job was pronounced Job. It sure looked like Job to me. And Malachi looked like Malichi to me. I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. I knew there were three Bibles. I knew there was the Old Testament, the Psalms, and the New Testament. And that's about it. I didn't know, and so I wasn't searching for any of those kinds of things. And I, I can guarantee you that becoming a preacher was not even on my radar. But we studied the Bible, and we studied like we did any part of literature, the who, what, where, when, why, and, and how. But as I went along, I started to discover something about this Bible that they call the Word of God. And I had to read some other extracurricular books that went along with it that pushed me a little further, but it so intrigued me that I found myself wanting it. I mean, wanting it bad. And over my lifetime, that's been my drive, is to know more about Jesus and to know more about God and to know more about what he expects of me and what he expects of you. And there was a price to be paid because I knew that if I became a Christian, I'd probably lose most of my friends that I partied with and did other things with. I knew that later on, I would lose other things. I mean, I left a job that was a very lucrative, well-paying job, and I left that job, and I went to school to become a preacher. When I started out, I was not looking for a treasure, but I found a treasure unexpectedly, and it changed my life drastically. Then we have you teenagers. You teenagers, you went up to camp here a week or so ago. And my guess is that some of you who went up to camp, you went up to camp thinking to yourself, ah, really don't care about this camp stuff. Really not looking to know Jesus better. Really don't want to know that much more about the word of God. But I like my friends. I like hanging out with my friends. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hang with my friends. I'm going to be with my, my friends. You just kind of hang out with them. Or maybe you went up there because, you know, your parents said, you know, when I was a teenager, I love camp. Camp had such an impact on me. You need to go to camp and find out what camp is about. 
or it means that your parents just said, listen, you're going to camp in a store, you're going to camp. But you're not going to camp because you thought you was going to learn something. You didn't go there because you thought there was this hidden treasure that you was going to find there. You went there because you just, you just went there. But in going there, something happened up there. Unexpectedly, you discovered something wonderful. You discovered the mercy of God. You discovered the forgiveness of God. You discovered the grace of God and of Jesus. And you found that there was something there more valuable than anything you could have possibly imagined. And that's why six of you were baptized into Christ. And that's why others of you may not have been baptized. You were a Christian. You rededicated and recommitted and said, when I come down off this camp... I'm going to try to live a more pure life. I'm going to try to do what Jesus would have. That's the parable of the hidden treasure. You don't expect to find something there, but in the process of looking, you find out that it's incredible. So what is worth so much that a man sells everything that he has, and with joy he goes out and he buys a field? What is it about that? Well, Paul the Apostle, I think, is a great one to look at that talks about that. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. In this section of Scripture, Paul, he gives kind of his pedigree of what he once had, who he once was. Look, beginning in verse 4. In a worldly kind of way, he says this. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He has an incredible pedigree. And if you were to ask him, I'm going to tell you that Paul was moving up. He said he far advanced his countrymen, that he was probably popular. He was becoming famous. He probably, was having, he probably had some wealth and money that went along with it. But notice what he says here in verses 7 and 8. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I count them as far, I count them everything that lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul discovered a hidden treasure. When he was on his way to Damascus to persecute those Christians there, he was not going up there looking for Jesus. He, that's not what he was about. But that's what he discovered. And it impacted his life. And we know how much it impacted because we have 13 books that he wrote in our New Testament. That's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom of heaven is precious. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's more precious than gold coins found in a field in England or the wreckage of a Spanish ship at the bottom of an ocean. I mean, they may have $6 million, but where are they going to take that when they die? Are they going to take any of it with them? The answer is no. You can become the most rich, wealthiest person in the world. You might be a little bit more comfortable here on earth. My guess is that lots of wealth gives you a lot of headaches along with it. But you won't take any of it with you. The treasure I am talking about is something that you can take with you that will last for an eternity. I'm talking about your salvation. The kingdom of heaven is to possess the forgiveness that was purchased to you on the cross of Jesus on the Jerusalem hillside. He died for your sins. 
And in case, you know, his listeners in that room didn't get the parable of the hidden treasure, uh, he talks about the other treasure. And in that treasure, he talks about a pearl of great value. And there in that section, it says this. Again, he says to them, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. That's pretty incredible when you, when you think about it. Okay, so in the parable of the hidden treasure, the man unexpectedly stumbles across it. And he's willing to sell everything he has in order to buy the field in order to obtain the treasure. In this parable, there's a difference, and the difference is, is that the merchant is searching. He is seeking for fine pearls. He was intentional. He's focused. He is determined to find a valued pearl. That's what he is about. He's task-oriented. So the man in the hidden treasure, he stumbles across it. This guy intentionally searches after the pearl of great uh, price. And once they have found it, both of them, they sell everything they have in order to get that valuable thing. Now, pearls in Jesus' day were of great value. They were one of the first jewels that were adorned by, by women. Over time, they became a status symbol. They became a status symbol of, of wealth and prosperity, of wisdom or power. Uh, I mean, people who owned pearls back then had it going, if you will. And these pearls were worth in the thousands. Today, there are pearls. Did you know there are pearls today that are worth in the thousands? That little first picture I showed you of that pearl there, that was a $3,000 pearl that I took a picture of somewhere. $3,000 pearl. But there are pearls of strands. If you get on the Google and says, you know, what's the value of a pearl? They'll show you strands of pearl, these necklaces, and a single pearl that is at the very bottom of a necklace that are worth into the millions. $7 million, $11 million. You know what the most expensive pearl in the world is? It's the pearl of the ocean, the green pearl. It's a pearl that's man-made out of fluoride. It took them three years to shape this thing into a perfect circle and then to shine the thing up. It weighs six tons, five feet tall, and is worth a staggering $139 million. So, Jared, you missed Brittany's birthday, and you missed her anniversary. So you might think about the green pearl. I don't know how she'd wear the thing. But anyway, I mean, now I've shared with you all this trivia just to show, share with you that, that pearls in Jesus' day were extremely valuable. And this, per, this, this merchant, he is task-oriented, and so he sees it as a worthwhile task for the merchant to especially go after to find this pearl of great value. That's what he is about. That's what he, he does. He goes around and searches it, and when he finds this thing, it says he goes out and he sells everything he has because this one pearl, so far you know, out distance, anything that he has or anything he is in possession of, that he sells it and gets that, that pearl. I want you to know this morning that this parable is about you. You are the merchant. You're the merchant. Maybe you have been searching for a spiritual truth, and in your search, you have found Jesus and his, his kingdom. 
Maybe you have been searching for a fresh start, a new beginning. Uh, maybe you've been searching for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Maybe you've been searching for a place to belong. You're, but you've what? Searching for that. You try to find it. Now, in my story, when I stumbled across the value of what Jesus was, I went on a search. I started going to churches. I started, you know, I was armed with how to ask the who, what, where, when, and why questions. And I went to lots of churches as I searched for truth and searched for a pure knowledge of Jesus and, and of, of, of God. This picture behind me is a Formula One race car at the Indianapolis 500. My first work in Hayward, California, a fellow by the name of Phil Threshy was a Formula One race car driver. He had raced in the Indianapolis 500, but he had not find, found meaning in life. In fact, he was searcher, searching for a deeper meaning in, in life. He raced in the Indianapolis 500. He lived in the fast lane, but he lived in a fast lane that he knew was going nowhere for him. It wasn't working for him, so he shows up at the church building on a Sunday, and I met him as a visitor, and I could tell he's this hungry dude, and so I asked him if he would be willing to sit down and study the Bible with me, and you know what Phil did? Phil said, yes, I'd love to. The first time we studied, we studied for like two and a half hours. The second time we studied, we studied for like three hours. We're studying day after day. This guy is like a this sponge that was just taking everything in. He wanted it all, know it all right now. And, 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 and in doing so, he found something in, incredible about, he found the value of the pearl. He found Jesus to be the king, and he wanted him to be the Lord of his life. He knew that it was more precious than Indy Formula One Indy car. He raced for Pinsky, or for, 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 for Pinzoil. The time I met him, he was building a, a, a car for Pinzoil in his garage. He, he owned... Um, a Ferrari shop where he had all kinds of Ferrari warehouse. And inside that Ferrari warehouse, he was building this Pennzoil Formula One car. But Phil wasn't happy with his life. He wanted Jesus more than anything. And this is going to cost him. He quit driving Formula One race cars. I think he kept the Ferrari place, the parts place. But he quit driving for them. And in doing so, his wife, she loved the fast lane. And when he told her he was no longer going to be driving in the fast lane, she left him. She left him. She couldn't stand Christians. Phil gave up a lot for the pearl of great price. But if you were to ask Phil today, was it worth the price? He would say, absolutely. He married a gal. He had like four children. It was worth everything to him. Well, that's what this parable really is about. I mean, what would you be willing to give up in order to obtain the pearl of great price? Would you give up family, friends, habits, a job? Would you give up fame, popularity, fortune? What is it that you would give up in order to obtain this pearl of great value, this kingdom that has so many wonderful blessings within it? There's another view of the pearl of great price as I was reading and studying for the lesson and looking at different commentaries. One of the views is this, is that Jesus is the merchant. Uh, they say Jesus is the merchant and he is in search for a pearl of great value. Well, Luke 19 and verse 10 says that the Son of Man came is seeking to save the lost. And so he came on a mission, but he had to give up a lot to come as the merchant. 
in order to find this pearl and to buy this pearl, he's going to have to be willing to give up. So he left the glories of heaven, became a human being, hurt like we were, suffered like we suffered, tempted as we are, are tempted, but he came on a mission. And guess who the pearl of great value is? Well, it's you. You're the pearl of great value to him. And that's why he would die on the cross. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God took our sins and placed it upon him in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Or 1 John 2 and verse 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the whole world. Propitiation, the appeasing sacrifice. What we should have, we should have all died on the cross. He takes our place so that we can be saved for an eternity. You are the pearl of great price. So while you cannot, you know, purchase your salvation you need to know it's valuable above all other things. And that the true disciple will give everything up to follow after him in the end. You come into this world naked. You go out naked unless your loved ones put you in a suit or in a dress. But you come in with nothing and you go out with nothing except for one valuable thing. A hidden treasure a pearl that equals the kingdom and equals your salvation. And that's the way it's always been. Jesus never softened the rules for anyone. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 24 and 26, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And give up his soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And as you go down through the scriptures, you'll see all kinds of people who did that. Noah, who, you know, risked his reputation in order to build an ark out in the middle of nowhere where there wasn't any rain. To be obedient to God. Or Abraham's 80 years old and he leaves his father's house and his, his homeland and he goes to a foreign land, not know where he's going, but God's leading him there and he trusts him and so he believes and he obeys. Or Moses, he leaves the luxury of Pharaoh's house. He is a prince, a son of Pharaoh with all the wealth that possibly can be given and yet he leaves it all behind because of the reproach of Christ that's in the future. He leaves it behind. Or how about all the Old Testament prophets? They left all kinds of things. They were persecuted. They were, some of them were killed because of their obedience to God. Peter, James, and John left a great business. They left their father's house, and they left a fishing business in order to become fishers of men. Matthew had a lucrative tax-collecting business but he wanted to become a man of integrity. And he got rid of all of it and started following Jesus. And we could talk about Paul and, and many others. Those are the ones who chose the pearl and the hidden treasure. But then you have the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says to him, Master, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And he says to this young man, he says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the, po the poor and you'll have riches in heaven. 
And it says the young man turned away and went away sorrowful because he had so much. And Jesus said to his disciples afterwards, how can a man enter heaven? And Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Agrippa, Paul taught him, and Agrippa says, you know, Paul, you almost have persuaded me to become a Christian. But I have way too much power, way too much position to fall for that. And then you see the names Alexander and Philetus and Hymenaeus and Demas, who once were Christians and walked away from the treasure because they loved the world more. So today in these parables, he calls you and me to place a, to a place of, of radical commitment. To put it simply, he's asking us, are you all in? Both of the men in these parables sold everything to obtain that valuable thing. Are you sold out for the kingdom? That's the question that I am asking you this morning. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's the value of the kingdom. It's a hidden treasure. It's a pearl of great price and value. My question to you this morning is, do you own it? Are you in possession of it? And what would you give up in order to possess it? So that's your challenge, and that's your response this morning. Or together we stand and sing and give you opportunity. Won't you come?